Our passage this morning, as it says in the worship guide, is 1 Corinthians chapter 3. We've covered a few of those verses uh, two weeks ago. We'll continue picking up with verse 1 and just do the whole chapter. <clears throat> Pardon my voice. I don't know what's wrong other than just Oklahoma and allergies and all that. This week, uh, we had a couple of appointments with teachers, and it reminded me of just that, if you've ever had children doing teacher conferences, or you're a teacher, or you've been a child and you came, it's that weird moment where all of the sudden, all the criticism, the teacher, are they any good, the school, is it any good, Uh, my little angel's perfect, and you're sitting there, and all of a sudden, it's like, there's really this actual classroom that goes on, and and there's actual evaluations, and it feels like the tables are turned. If you, I don't know if you know that feeling of just like, oh, maybe we're the problem. Or maybe we aren't doing something well. And it's that teacher's opportunity to look at the parent. Um, one of our children, who's not in here, uh, a couple of times you heard, um, you know, just struggling to, not to stay calm in class. And after the third time, I said, how do we stop that? I, said, I don't know. Well, you have a Ph.D., um, okay, Paul is turning the tables on the Corinthians. This is their parent-teacher conference. This, this chapter 3 is this moment where they've critiqued Paul, they're choosing who they want to follow, they're, they know what wisdom looks like, and he's writing this letter, and all of a sudden, they're going, oh, maybe we have to pay attention to what we're doing. So, that's the good news. You're going to be on the hot seat because you're the Corinthians. Um, just to kind of give you a heads up on this chapter, Paul, in ch- verse 5, has a metaphor, it's agriculture. And then in verse 10, he builds up, he changes it to buildings. So I want you to pay attention to those metaphors as we're reading. I know sometimes when you preach and you read a passage, people are zoned out, and then throughout the sermon, I, I point back to things, and you're like, oh, we read that? I don't remember. So here's, here's the first parent-teacher conference moment. Pay attention. Okay. Focus. Something I was never able to do. Verse 1 through verse 23. But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you are not ready, for you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, And another, I follow Apollos. Are you not being merely human? Metaphor number one. What then is Paul? What is, or excuse me, what then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants, through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. Next metaphor, starting in verse 10. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation, and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, 
because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss. Though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. I am so thankful that's not mine. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks that he is wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is folly with God. For it is written, He catches the wise in their craftiness, and again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they are futile. So let no one boast in men, for all things are yours. Whether Paul, or Apollos, or Cephas, or the world, or life, or death, or the present, or the future. All are yours, and you are Christ's, and Christ is God's. This is the word of the Lord. Father, we love you. We long to understand this passage better, and we pray your Spirit would help us to do that this morning, that we would rest on the foundation that is Jesus Christ more and more. Amen. When I was in seminary, I decided to check out RUF. Most of you know RUF is Reformed University Fellowship, and I wanted to learn what would it look like to become a campus minister. So a guy named John Stone came to campus, and he's one of the coordinators, and he began to teach on the philosophy of ministry of RUF, which is exceptional. And one of the things we were talking about was demographics. Um, That is, here you are being sent to some campus, but campuses are different. Some are more academic, some are more party schools, some have great football teams, some have average football teams. Just kidding, I don't, just having fun. Um, You know, in in Colorado, we had Colorado State, not really into academics, not really into sports, really into weekends. We also had like the Air Force Academy. To be a campus minister, there was a whole different job. And so what is your demographic? And then he says this, he says, when you go to your campus, Whatever campus you may or may not go, when you go, if you go, I want you to remember that the worst thing on your campus is you. And I thought, wow, that's a selling point. Um, Yet it was very freeing. Hear those words again. The worst thing going on in your campus is you. What is he saying? Well, for one, he's John Stone. He likes to speak in hyperbole. But what he is saying is this. In order to be a good campus minister, and I would just say a good Christian, we can't go through this life constantly critiquing everybody else. We have to start with ourselves. We have to look at our own sin, our own proclivities, our own fallenness. And yet with Corinth and with the Corinthians, they weren't doing this. Paul is gone. Apollos has probably left. Other men have come in to teach. They form these house groups. We're not really sure of all the situations. But they have become arrogant in their criticism. In fact, chapter 3 says, uh, in verse 3, jealousy and strife were, were present in their midst. And so they were this kind of inward-focused, crit- criticizing group. And what Paul was saying is, if you want to grow as a Christian, if you want to be the Christian God has made you to be, you have to rest on Christ and on His foundation 
and not on your own fleshly instincts. And I think that message can still work today. That we really, as a Christian church, not just grace, but the whole nation, we really do drive with our own desires, our own cultural proclivities, and we forget to start with Scripture and the foundation of Christ. You may not be convinced of that, but I hope to convince you as we go on. Now, I have to make an asterisk right now. This passage in seminary like blew up for me. Okay, and I won't because of the rewards thing. It just just blew my mind. So I spent a lot of time on it, and I don't think that helped. So all week long, I talked to Doug every day. We're working through and processing it. So this may be the most muddled of my sermons, but I think if you hang with me, uh, it'll it'll become clear. And if not, it's your fault because it's a parent teacher conference. So first of all, we're going to just look at the metaphors in order. This first one, starting in verse 5, really shows that you have to grow, you have to understand your conversion. If you want to grow as a Christian, you need to do that. Now, a lot of people think, I can barely remember my conversion, or I don't have a great story. But thankfully, Paul doesn't really, at this point, care about your particular story as much as the behind the scenes. So in chapter, or verse 5, of course, we're in chapter 3, he explains who Apollos and who Paul are. He says, we are just two guys... God used to do this work. There's three different categories. There's the human agents, Paul and Apollos. There's the one who grew everything, God. And then there's the actual growth, you, the Christian. Right? That's what he's saying in this metaphor. So he's really trying to make the point, stop caring so much about who discipled you. Stop caring so much about who led you to Christ. Care more about Christ. Care more about the work God did in converting you. That's his point. And, and, and I think the most important element to that to understand is, do you know you're a Christian? And what does that mean? I was looking at uh, a book by Horatius Bonar, who wrote one of the hymns we sing today, called God's Way of Holiness. A fabulous book, but he starts off by saying, do you recognize you're a new creation? Do you recognize God's Spirit dwells in you? Think about Galatians 2.20. For I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live. Christ lives in me. Right? In 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. So what, what Horatius Bonar goes on to say is, if you're a Christian, you're not just coming to a new set of ideas. You're not just stumbling into a new... Um, worldview or, or something like that, you're actually a transformed being. And I would just throw this out to you. Is that your testimony? Do you believe that to be true of you? Because that's what Paul is starting with his challenge. Is he's saying, he's asked if they're, he's, he's challenged them by saying you're living like the, in the flesh. But he's assuming they're believers, at least the most part. And then in our, and that's verses 1 through 4. And then in verses 5 through 9, he's saying, here's how you became a Christian. Okay, but now, what does he do with the next metaphor? Uh, the next metaphor he talks about, um, I'm kind of moving around here, obviously, what it means to grow as a Christian and how you need to be focused and I need to be focused on the eternal perspective. Okay, And I'm going to bring up rewards now. How many of you read this and thought, oh, rewards? Like, Have you ever heard the, th- the theology of, like, I'm going to go to heaven... And some of us are going to have done better than others, and they'll have more rewards. So maybe I'll get a duplex, and the Hines will have a mansion. Right? 
and it'll be nice. But they'll invite me over for supper. They'll be rewarded more. Have you all ever heard that theology? Okay, I'm going to debunk that a little bit. What Paul is saying in this passage, the word for reward um, in the first metaphor is wages. Look at verse 8. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wage, or his wages, plural. Then in verse 14, if the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. Those are the same words. And the idea that Paul has there is that the reward is, is not something separate from what you're doing. It's not like you won a long drive contest and you get something completely different, like a set of golf clubs or a trip to somewhere. Rather, the reward is the culmination of the thing you are pursuing. Okay? So if you are planting and watering and it grows, that's your reward. It grew. And you get to reap that. If you're a builder and you build a building and a fire comes and it stays standing, that's a reward. That's, the structure was sound. Okay? And so the question then is, are we, are we even thinking about rewards in that way, or are we thinking about rewards more about prizes? Here's another way Paul talks about rewards. He uses the word crown often. If you remember, he will say, you're my joy in Philippians. You're my crown. So for Paul, the reward or the crown was the, were the people that he gets to see in eternity. He's a church planner. You're coming to Christ for him to simply go to heaven without the people he's been leading to Christ is empty. Look at verse um, 15. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Now, the, the pronouns there are referring to the builder, the Apollos figure. So what Paul is saying is here's a person, not Apollos, he's left. Someone else has come out and started teaching and here's this church, it's growing, but it's only helpful if that church is growing in such a way that would last into eternity. So that's encouraging, right? Are you growing in a way that will last into eternity? Here's the question. Are you living your life for heaven? Like right now. Are you doing the things in your life right now for the glory of God? Now, I just want to show of hands. Wouldn't that be awesome? Like, oh, I think I am. I mean, what does that mean? This is, I was preaching this, working through this, going, you could write four books on what that would look like. How do you even begin to assess your own life, right, and determine, am I producing fruit, or am I becoming the kind of person, or are the things I'm doing lasting into heaven? Glorifying God, in other words. So, how do we do that? This is where I'm gonna. This is our third point. How that comes out in this passage is the question that I'm gonna try to answer in verse 12 is what sort of material are you? That's the almost titled the passage that way. So how do we focus on heaven? And I think we do this in this passage by looking at the material we are. Okay, one of the strangest parts of that metaphor, um, verse 11. No one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Christ. Verse 12. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest for the day will disclose it. 
Paul is talking now about another person. Paul has built this foundation, right? He's left. Now Apollos has left, and other people have come in, and supposedly they're teaching on that foundation of Christ. But Paul makes a strange statement where he, he brings out these elements, um, you know, silver and gold and precious stones. And commentators don't know what to do with those. Some will say, oh, okay, that's two different groups. Some of those can survive fire, and some can't, okay? Others would say, no, you have to look at each one individually and try to understand it. So that's one classification. Here's another issue. What do they represent? Are these, like, doctrines? A lot of people say they are. So here's a builder. He comes in, and he's teaching doctrine. And he's using stone and and, and silver and gold, but also wood, hay, and straw. The problem with that theory is, um, according to Paul, the builder's doing his job. So if some of those doctrines aren't good, he's not doing his job. So as I've wrestled with this, um, here's my conclusion. I have this conclusion, and you can study it, and we can talk about it. I think Paul is talking about the temple. Look at verse 16. Do you not know that you are God's temple, and that God's Spirit dwells in you? And if you remember the temple being built, there were craftsmen that were set apart, filled with the Spirit, both the tabernacle and Solomon's temple, and then the people would bring their offerings. Right? Remember in Exodus? And it was their choice what they brought. And when they brought gold, they could bring gold and jewels and silver, but they could also bring things that aren't as helpful. The the builder can't change the materials. He can only utilize what's being brought. So it would be like if I said, Coleman, we're going to go do a Lego building together. And he really loves Legos. I said, I want you to make me the most, like Mount Rushmore. Have you ever seen those kind of things where people build? But I hand him like a few cruddy Legos. It's not going to be a very good Mount Rushmore. Okay, It's my fault, not his. So isn't that encouraging? It's your fault. That's what Paul's saying. It came to me. It's not my fault that this sermon is so bad. It's your fault. Okay. There's a story of a, I'm really being serious here. There's a story of a, of a family moving, it's a parable, moving into a town, and they're in their moving truck, and they come into the edge of town to fill up the tank the last time and talk to the man at the filling station back when that existed. And they say, what is this town like? And the, and the man says, let me ask you a question before I tell you. What was your last town like? Well, both the husband and wife start to talk about, well, the people were kind of shallow. They didn't invite us over for dinner. No one wanted to get to know us. And they kind of make a few complaints. And he kind of shook his head, and I'm, I'm very sorry. You're going to find this town is exactly the same. And they go on their way sad. And the next couple pulls in with their truck an hour or two later, so it's not so convenient. And same question, what's this town like? We're moving here. So let me ask you, what was your last town like? And they both, their eyes well up with tears. Oh, we miss it. The, some of our greatest friends, they invited us over for dinner, and, and we got to know them and share life together. We're so sad to leave it. And the man said, you're going to love this town. It's just the same. It's a parable. The point is, what is it you're bringing to the relationship? What is it you're bringing into the town? Because when people come in, like the Corinthians, and complain, I follow Apollos. That sounds positive. But, but what you're saying is, I don't like Paul. I think Paul's not quite as sharp as he could be. 
or I like Paul, but not Apollos, the same. And so what, what's happening is human wisdom is fluttering in, human culture, and it's taking over your ability to assess correctly. Look at verse 18. Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks that he is wise in this age, let him become a fool. So, I think this passage is asking, what sort of material are you? What sort of material am I? What am I bringing? Um, I've been studying, you know, I talk about sermon prep, and there's this uh, program I was looking at. It's pretty good, called Preaching Rocket. But what you find with these, these programs and, and modern preaching advice is they say things like people, I'm getting really mean right now, but you're all listening very well. People are, their attention span is lower than it used to be, you know. So you've got to be really quick. You've got to throw in a few jokes, make sure you have everything nailed down to a perfect sentence. Or another example, people's knowledge of Scripture is really bad. So you're going to have to do a lot more whatever. You'd have to do teaching and, and whatever. And I, I just feel like I want to say when I come, because you're not like that. See, that's why I'm here. Grace isn't like that. But there is a sense in which what the modern methods of preaching are teaching us to do is meet the culture, is accept where the culture has gone, and dumb everything down. We had another parent-teacher conference at one point, it's been a few years ago, where the teacher said, like one of our teachers, uh, well, kids focus a lot less these days, so I show more videos, or something like that. I remember thinking, that's the problem. Like, quit showing the video. Like, she tried to break up every five minutes because of their attention span. Maybe our job as parents and our job as people is to prepare ourselves to be able to grow in Christ, right? This is my first legalistic message ever. You like it so far? Is it, you feeling the heat? What are you doing to be a better follower of Christ? I'm going to stop now and just pray and we'll just move on. And here's the answer. How do we do that? That's the, what I'm hoping to do is show you that Paul is turning the tables and he's looking at the Corinthians and he's saying, sure, maybe I didn't do a great job. Maybe Apollos didn't do a great job. But what are you doing as a Christ follower to build the church? Right? What are you doing to make the church glorious and to show the, the beauties of Christ to the culture? And I would, I would like to end, what I want to focus on as we move into the ending is this amazing final passage of this chapter where Paul, I think, gives the very huge secret of becoming the better building material. Do you want to be holier? Do you want to be someone that in the end you can look back at your life and say, I contributed to the temple. I contributed to the building of God's people. I contributed to the kingdom advancing. Is that a desire? Or do you want to have our whole life be straw and hay? And you know, it, it, what, what kind of things can we do with that? It's going to really limit us. So, okay, you ready? In four minutes, I'm going to transform your lives. It's going to happen. Okay. Paul says in verse 18, Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks that he is wise in this age, let him become a fool. There it is. He said it already, that there's something about the foundation of Christ that calls you and I to become a fool. And when you drop down to verse 20, 21, it says, So let no one boast in men, for all things are yours. And there it is again. That, that we had that theme a few weeks ago. Boasting in men. Right? 
And so the question that we have to constantly come back to with Paul, and in this passage, and in this letter, is what are you boasting in? What are you placing your emphasis in? If your Christianity is boring, if it's straw, what, it's because you're boasting in something else. And this is not for you. Like Christianity is not your number one thing. There's something else that's attracted you. Now let me be clear. You can be religious. In fact, oftentimes it's the religious people that are bringing the most straw because they're so focused on, let's say, doctrine or something like that that they aren't really living in the Spirit. And then there's the whole worldly side of things where we're so consumed by the world that all we have is hay to present because we're not really um, excited about the Gospel and about becoming a fool. So here's here's what I want to ask you. What are you resting in for your identity, for your well-being? Have you ever seen those life-size Jenga? I don't know why I would call it life-size, but Jenga sets that are just huge, like this tall. I know REF always has them that light up the lawn. And, and I, I don't play a lot of Jenga because I'm not good at it, but there's that moment where you, you're poking at the block, and if you pull out the wrong one, the thing just crashes, and it's so loud, maybe even slightly embarrassing. What is your block? Like, what is that one last thing that if you pull out of your life, you think the thing's going to collapse? Do you have one? We all do. See, the reason we're boring in our Christianity often, and I'm guilty, as a pastor, it's very easy. I preach. I'm paid to study the Word. I do all these things, but is my heart ignited by Christ? And often when it's not, it's because I'm clinging to some block that's in my Jenga life tower, and I'm praying and hoping that that doesn't get moved because the thing's going to come tumbling down. What is yours? I'll throw out some options. What would, and here's all you have to do. What would you have to lose right now to just think, I, I don't want anything if that's gone? A spouse? An occup- a job? A reputation? Maybe you have to go from living in a $300,000 home to a $150,000 home or a duplex or a trailer? I mean, just think about what is it? Reputation? Online reputation? Um, not doing a good job, people at work don't respect you. Often in parenting, we lose our temper because our children don't respect us. We, we say things like, I needed to teach them a lesson, but really what's happening is that block's been removed of respect and we get angry. What is your block? What are you clinging to? Because Paul seems to think that you and I are living out of the flesh when we boast in that thing. That's what boasting in men means. We're boasting in some cultural thing that we can't lose. So here's the, here's be the homework assignment, the application. You need to go home, and I mean this. Like Everyone needs to do this. This is like the most clear application ever. And write down about five options for your blocks in Jenga. That if that block was moved, the thing would tumble down. Academics. I remember in seminary, I was talking to a guy who, um, it, was, it was very common at Covenant, for professors to say things like, you need to be willing to get a B to love your family. Which, hey, no problem here. Um, I remember telling that to a guy. He said, I will never get a B. You could just see the look on his face. like That would crumble the whole thing. What is yours? You have several. Write them down. Brainstorm it out. This is your assignment. Once you do step one, you've come up with five. Choose one, step two. And start to ask yourself, what is so important about that? Like, why would, if that thing was moved, why would that lead to the breaking down of the tower? 
Is it health? Is it looks? Is it, oh no, I didn't have organic? I don't know. What is it? Sprouts is opening up. We're all going organic tomorrow. Wednesday. These are very important. Because if you don't do these things well, these two steps, then you won't grasp what Paul is saying when he says this. All things are yours. Remember in James where James says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? You know, I say this to my kids all the time. They know it verbatim. You know, here are two people fighting. And again, adults fight differently. Maybe we do it through shutting people out or gossip or maybe just flat out anger. James says, what causes this strife? Isn't it that you don't have something, so you murder? That's what we're getting at. We're looking at what is the thing that's been ripped out that's causing me to crumble falsely. And then, thirdly, how does this passage answer the problem? That all things are yours. Verse 22, whether Paul, Apollos, Cephas, homes, cars, reputation, good things. All are yours. Right? He goes even farther. This is like a doxology. I mean, Paul is just breaking out this world or the, li- or li- or the world or life or death or the present or the future. All are yours. You are Christ's and Christ is God's. Your job is to take those blocks out and recognize that Jesus is sustaining the structure without them. And you have to preach that Gospel to yourself. All you need is Jesus. And to the degree that that's not true, to the degree that we have a few of those blocks that if without them I couldn't live, we will be strong. We'll be useless. Because our whole life will be built up around protecting that thing or those things. Does that make sense? So Paul is saying, die to the things you think your life is built upon and live to Christ. That's your assignment. Next week we can turn them in right up here on the table and I'll read them out loud. I'm glad you all can joke with me, but I'm being very serious. It's a very hard thing, but it takes work outside of the classroom. Right? You have to go home, open your Scripture and say, Jesus, show me what I'm clinging to besides you. Show me how I'm living out of the flesh. And then trust Him for growth and for holiness. Let's pray. Father, this is a hard passage. Um, It's very difficult because so many of the things we cling to aren't wrong in and of themselves. But Lord, we rely on them for our life. We can't imagine life without them. And they make us cranky and miserly and self-absorbed. And they make us live according to this world out of the flesh. And yet you say, as Paul tells us, we have everything ever we could ever want in you, Christ. Oh, that we would believe this. That we would rest on this alone. Would you make that true of us this morning? Amen.